Um, well, uh, for those that don't know, we've been going through a series, um, what to bring when you're told not to bring a thing. And I do keep recapping this every week because if someone watches this online, they need a little bit of context, right? And if somebody's new, they need a little bit of context. And uh, if you're at home watching, hello, um, that's to my wife as well. Um, it's just three kids is a lot, you know. And uh, I have it on good authority that she'll be preaching next week, though. And uh, it's always great when Samara brings the word. So I want to give you a tiny little bit of context. So we're going to go straight to Scripture because Scripture's good, right? That's what our authority is here. And it's First Peter 2. 2 to 5, and it says, like newborn babies crave pure spiritual milk so that you may grow up in your salvation. Did you know that there's growing up in your salvation to do? Yeah? Now that you have tasted that the Lord is good, the living stone and a chosen people, as you come to Him, the living stone rejected by humans but chosen by God and precious to Him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house, a holy priesthood offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. What am I trying to get at here? As we grow in our salvation from the moment where we receive Jesus Christ, we should begin to understand that whilst we were given a gift of salvation by the grace of God for free, we can mature in our salvation and understand that there is also now something that we can give back to God. That we can actually offer something to God of heaven. That He has given us an opportunity as His holy nation, as His royal priesthood, to come and bring a sacrifice that is actually acceptable to Him. And I don't know about you, but that's good news for me. It's like, sometimes you're like, you're told not to bring a thing, but you're just drawing inspiration from the box of favorites, right? Which is the thing you bring when you're told not to bring a thing to a barbecue or a party. And when you bring that thing, even though it wasn't expected of you, it says something about you and it says something about the person you're bringing it to, am I right? Yeah? And so we have been systematically going through a few areas that the New Testament speaks about that we can bring even though salvation was free, that we can give to God even though He expects nothing, right? Are you with me? Are you following? Is that clear enough? I hope you feel caught up because I've got, I want to keep running tonight. I need some, my mouth is going to run tonight. Are you right? Are you ready? Um, I might need water for that if, if anyone's around. I, I was just praising my lips out just before, so I'm a little bit parched, right? <clears throat> so last week, as you are aware, we talked about um, our sacrifice of praise. Has anyone got their wallpaper? Did anyone actually screenshot that? Yeah? Show me your wallpaper if you've got it on, which one you chose. I chose the navy blue. Oh, Sammy's got the gold with the like, little rainbow. Yep. I like that one, Ali. Yep. <laughs> Kiana's like... <laughs> but it opened your screen, so I couldn't see it anyway. <clears throat> so I, last week we talked about sacrifice of praise. So it, it comes from your heart and overflows out of your mouth and your hands raised, right? And that image helped us understand what that looked like in a, just a very simple image. So if you missed that, I encourage you to watch it on our YouTube channel. Um, tonight we're going through area number two. The second thing that we're going to discuss that we can actually bring to God as an acceptable offering, as an acceptable sacrifice to Him, and it's our favorite one to talk about, right? It's our money. It's our money. And uh, I, I enjoy talking about money because I think that it's an issue that's very close to God's heart. Jesus talks about it an enormous amount because it's an enormous area, right? It's an enormous space. So I'm just going to pray because we need the Holy Spirit to speak to us, not me, right? Father, we just pray that you would... Um, Speak to us tonight. Holy Spirit, 
we pray for a, a softness of heart and anointing on, on these words tonight, that you would um, enter places in our hearts that maybe you've never been able to go before. And we just, uh, we open our hearts to allow you to do that tonight in Jesus' name. Amen. So I want to quickly start by giving you a few instances of where it says in the New Testament that money's even a possible thing that God would accept from us nowadays, right? You might think, oh, that's, he doesn't care, he doesn't need our money. But there is actually instances in the New Testament where it's very clear that it says this is an acceptable sacrifice to God, a fragrant offering to Him. And so the first one is in Philippians 4, 14 to 18. I touched on it a couple weeks ago when we brushed over this topic. And basically, uh, Paul is writing to the Philippian church, and they are the only church that partnered with him financially in the early days of the gospel. And he's basically thanking them. And this is what he said. Yet it was good of you to share in my troubles. Moreover, as you Philippians know, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, that means your partnership with my ministry financially. Thank you, Georgia. When I set out from Macedonia, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving, except you only. For even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid more than once when I was in need. Not that I desire your gifts. What I desire is that more be credited to your account. I have received full payment and more than enough. I am amply supplied now that I have received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent. They are a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. What does this tell us? It says that when we financially partner with the things of the gospel, it's something that matters to God. It touches the heart of God. It's a fragrant offering. It's an acceptable sacrifice that we can be making as we grow in our salvation as a gesture towards our God. Does anyone think that that's pretty cool? Like it's just paper and it's just a bit of metal in your wallet or a number on a screen and it can touch the heart of God in the right context. Another uh, instance in Acts 10, 1 to 4, I'm going to read it because it tells like a story. It says, at Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion, in what was known, can I get an offering bucket, please? Random thought, back to the scripture. (laughs) As the Italian regiment, he and all his family were devout and God-fearing. He gave generously to those in need and prayed to God regularly. Thank you, Georgia, again. One day, at about three in the afternoon, he had a vision. He distinctly saw an angel of the Lord who came to him and said, Cornelius, Cornelius stared at him in fear. What is it, Lord, he asked. The angel answered, your prayers and gifts to the poor have come up as a memorial offering before God. This is another um, moment where the Bible is clear in the New Testament that our financial gifts, when partnered with the heart of God, will touch the heart of God. Today, now, in the New Testament, in the New Covenant, our finances can still be and definitely are an acceptable offering and sacrifice to God. And I think that that is amazing, that we can even do that with just the thing that we get paid from our employer every week, right? Now that that's established, is all giving, is all finance an acceptable offering to God? This is the main question we want to wrestle with tonight. Is every offering financially an acceptable sacrifice? I want to have a bit of confession time. Is that all right? 
confessions from a um, pastor's kid. Who's, and you're going to confess too, I'm not in this alone, right? Who's ever pretended to put money in the offering bucket? <laughs> Jordan Harper, calling you out, mate. It's a pastor's kid thing. It, uh, and praise, I saw that hand. I'm praying for you. I'll be, I'll be honest, I think there's times, I'm sure there's times I have either witnessed people pretending to put money in the offering or put, pretended to put money in the offering myself. Not recently, I'll have you know, right? But you must know that I have a past. I was a teenage church kid, you know? It was rough. And, uh, you know, you just, you're, just a, you're not very smart when you're a young kid, you're a teenager, and you just do silly things sometimes. And so I developed a few techniques to uh, try and convince people that I was giving in the offering, right? I want to run a few of you, with a few of them tonight for you. Not that they apply in COVID because you don't pass the bucket, but a few of them were this. I, um, I mastered one called the bucket flick, right? And I don't know if anyone, if anyone can relate to these, but if you hold it like this and you put something in and then you flick the bottom... It just sounds like something hit the bottom, right? So you go, it's hard with the microphone, but you're holding the coin and then, and I'm just doing this. That one's for free, all right? If the, money, if the bucket already has coins in it, you can give it a bit of a shake as you put it, you're very violent, you know, like a violent placing of your offering. And you, you kind of like, I don't know if it shook or if you put something in, it's like great offering, you know? Have you, have you seen the closed hand? It's a popular one. It's when you've got a note enclosed and you don't want anyone to see the color of that note, you roll it up. I used to watch my mum do that in offering, and um, not, not give, but she just did that to hide what color the note was, right? And uh, so you see people kind of do this, and they put it in, and they drop it. It doesn't make a sound. You never know, right? The closed hand. Or the last one I like to call the deep drop, and so you go, like, right in, and then you let it go down the bottom. No one has a clue. Could be coin, could be, you know... Does anyone, no, just, I guess I'll, I will be the one repenting tonight. My point is, there are plenty of ways to fool other people that you are giving something that is costly to you, but there is no way to fool God that you're giving something costly to Him. You can convince the person in the chair next to you, you can convince your pastor, you can convince your spouse, you can convince your family that you are giving something that cost you something that may have been a sacrifice, but there is no fooling God. And sometimes we try and get caught up impressing the people around us that we are giving or appeasing the pressure that you might feel socially to do so without realizing that it's actually God the one that we, we're looking to sacrifice for here, right? And He's the one that we've come to bring an offering to, and He sees what you give, and He knows whether it meant something to you or not. And that's an important point, right? So we can all be guilty at times of trying to convince other people that we are sacrificing something. But do you know who I think we are most guilty of misleading in this area? Ourselves. I reckon that we are super great at convincing ourselves of silly things sometimes. I reckon we're actually the most gullible people to our own lies there are. Have you ever tried convincing yourself that you need a sickie? 
you're a, you're a very convincing person when you're trying to convince yourself you need a sickie. You wake up and you're like, if you're honest, right, your state is I'm a bit tired and it's 6 a.m. Like, and it's cold. But then you go, oh, you know what? I've got a bit of a tickle. And you cough and it doesn't go away. You go, oh, no. Go get a drink of water. It's still there. It's like, ooh. Now, come to think of it, there's this, if I just do this, my head aches a little bit. I think I've got, actually, no, conjunctivitis. Is this conjunctivitis coming on? You know, it's quite warm. Is, it, is anyone, like, you get, and you, you convince yourself that you need to take a sick day, right? And you go to your boss, and from what started as, like, let's be honest, I just don't want to go to work today. A conversation with your boss, hey, I can't come to work today, I'm sick. And he's like, oh, what with? And you're like, oh, mate, I've got a fever, I've got a runny nose, I've got a sore throat, I'm just exhausted, I just think I need a day, you know, I'm just, I need a sick day at home. And we buy it until about midday after like a convicting episode of Dr. Phil on, on <laughs> midday TV and we've had some sense talked into us from the doctor and uh, we kind of realized we, your boss knew all along you were full of it, right? And by midday after Dr. Phil, you know you were full of it. And I just think that sometimes we're the most gullible people to our, our own com- convincing, right? Sometimes we are the, the easiest person to convince of things that we shouldn't be convincing ourselves of, right? And uh, when it comes to our giving, I have actually got a feeling that there are times in my life and there will be times in your lives where you can convince yourself that you are giving something that is costly, that you are making a sacrifice, or that you um, don't need to give or you don't need to make a sacrifice, when really the only person you're convincing and the only person you're fooling is yourself, you know, the offering will come around and you'll have like $5 in your wallet and you'll feel guilty because there's a bucket coming around and there's a note staring at you in your wallet and you're like, I know it's there. This would be easier if I didn't have cash, right, for let the bucket pass, you know. And you go, you know what, God, I was going to buy a McFlurry with that afterwards. I don't even know if $5 will get you a McFlurry nowadays. And you put it in and you say, I sacrifice for you, Lord. I was going to get a McFlurry with that. And you convince yourself that we've actually given something that cost you. You convince yourself that you've given something of a sacrifice. And don't hear the wrong thing tonight. There have been times where I have been given $10 to go out to dinner after church from my parents. Has anyone gone through that stage of life? It's like, Dad, I want to go to night church. And then they give you $10 to go to Macca's afterwards. And you're sitting there and the offering's coming around. You're like, "Uh uh-uh, that's my Big Mac sitting in my wallet like that. I'm a hungry boy, like, and the offering comes around, and there's been times where it's like, I've felt convicted to give it, and I've gone hungry the night and waited to get home to have spaghetti on toast, so don't hear me the wrong way, that is a sacrifice in its own way, right, only the heart of you knows whether you've made a sacrifice, so don't, don't get the wrong idea here, this isn't about numbers, this isn't about how much, right, This is about convincing yourself that you've sacrificed something when deep down you may know that you just haven't. And, uh, you know, I believe that God's given such clear instruction of what is a sacrifice and what is not in the Bible. And tonight I want to dive into what can um, help us figure out in our own hearts what is a sacrifice for, for you and for me and what is not a sacrifice for you and for me. That's the goal. Is that cool? All right.
We're going to go into um, Genesis to do this. Genesis 4, 1 to 7, one of the most famous stories in the Bible, and it is also the story of the very first offering, the very first sacrifice. Adam made love to his wife Eve. I thought that term was made up in the movies, and here it is in Genesis, made love. Adam made love to his wife Eve, and she became pregnant and gave birth to Cain. She said, with the help of the Lord, I have brought forth a man. Later, she gave birth to his brother Abel. Now, Abel kept flocks, and Cain worked for the soil. In the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. And Abel also brought an offering, fat portions from the firstborn of his flock. The Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering, but on Cain and his offering, he did not look with favor. So Cain was very angry, and his face was downcast. Then the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must rule over it. This is such a great story to help us begin to understand what is the beginning of an acceptable sacrifice in our finances, right? It's the first mention of something in the Bible. It's an accepted one and a not accepted one. And I just think it's going to be a really simple way for us to start to understand what is sacrifice and what isn't sacrifice. And uh, so let's just take a quick look. I think there's two main issues here. And the, the issue with Cain is that Cain didn't bring his first and Cain didn't bring his best. Cain didn't bring his first and Cain didn't bring his best. Let's read through this a little bit. Can we put that back up on the screen? Uh, go back earlier, please. It says, in the course of time, in the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering. Some translations for that course of time can often mean like the end of a season, like the end of a time, in the course of time, right? And a season can be like harvest. We know that Cain worked the fields, right? He worked the soil. So his season, in the course of time, this is saying towards the end of his season, he came and brought what he had to God, right? So after Cain had harvested the crop, assessed the crop, probably eaten some of the crop, used some of the crop, maybe even reseeded some of the crop, he brought some of the crop to God. Can you see that? Yeah? On top of that, it says that Cain brought some of the fruits, some of the fruits. It doesn't specify like it does with Abel that it was the first of his fruits, right? It was some of the fruits. Cain's offering wasn't acceptable because it wasn't his first and it wasn't his best. Are you following? Abel, on the other hand, brought his first and brought his best. Cain brought his leftovers at a time when it was convenient for him. So, why was a firstborn and why is animal fat so valuable? Why is that better? What did that show to God that Cain's offering didn't? You know, to give the firstborn of your crop, of a, of a flock, right, 
imagine like you, you're waiting for sheep to give birth to lambs, and you finally have one. And with that lamb, you can then continue to reproduce, right? There's future. And there's one at a time. And you've got that firstborn lamb of your flock, and it is born. And so to take that lamb, that firstborn to God, to offer it, is a sign that says, I trust you with my flock. I trust you with the rest. I could take this, reproduce it, look after myself, but here I am bringing it to you, trusting that you will bring another, trusting that you will bring more. Do you understand the, the significance of maybe a firstborn, right? There's no guarantee you're getting any more. There's no guarantee that your next one dies, then your next one's a stillbirth, and then you've got no young livestock to breed anymore, right? To bring the first, a healthy firstborn is saying, I trust that you're going to continue to provide for me, God, right? It's a complete and utter belief that if you give your first, God will provide the rest. See, I think for, for Abel, the temptation would be to have that firstborn to raise it, to breed it, to multiply it, to get stabi- uh, stability, and then maybe offer one of the later ones, right? When he's a bit more comfortable, when he's a bit more stable. But when he gives that first one to the Lord, he puts not just that firstborn in God's hand, but everything that follows in God's hand, right? By giving one at the start, by giving his first and his best, it represented everything was trusted, right? Cain, his crop grows. Has anyone driven past like through the country? You see it all grows at the same time, right? You're not like, oh, the first carrot. How will I ever reproduce if I give this to the Lord? No, you're getting them all, right? You're getting them all at the same time. And uh, he's not banking on one little lamb to reproduce. He's got a thousand carrots I don't know, Russell said carrots this morning too for a farm reference. It's just carrots tonight. He's got them all at the same time, arguably an easier sacrifice, and he still didn't bring his first. It's like you still just, you still didn't bring a portion of your first, even when you had it all, even when you got it in a different nature to Abel, right? The other thing Abel's offering tells us is that it was incredibly valuable. It says he brought the first portions of the animal's fat. He offered the, uh, the fat portions. Now, some of you in the room are like, you know what, Lord? Sign me up to the fat offering. Take it all. I, offer, I give it all to you, God. Anyone in that boat tonight? No, just me. But um, animal fat was actually an incredible, incredibly valuable resource. All throughout history, animal fat has been an incredible resource. And uh, this week, I've been researching a little bit into the significance of animal fat. Don't look at my Google history. It's pretty weird, right? And, uh, you know, I've actually kind of discovered that over the years, humans have actually been really fond of animals, not for their meat, but because they've been searching for their fat. They've been hunting animals not so they can eat the meat portions, but they can eat the fat portions because the fat portions are actually incredible. You know, our diet can only handle about 30, 35% of protein, but it can handle 60, 70, 75% of fat. 
research and, you know, historical data says that we tend to hunt for the bigger, the healthier game, the bigger animals, the stronger animals, because they have a higher fat content. It makes more sense for us to hunt the weak and the old, right? But they're not carrying fat because they're weak. They've used all their fat. They're just muscle. They're just bone. But we go for the big stuff. We go for the big game because we know they've got fat. You know, there's evidence to suggest that uh, in Indigenous Australian history, that often after a kill, they would go up to the, the body of the animal that they had hunted, they would feel it for fat, and if unless they were starving, right, if it didn't have fat on it, they would just leave it there. That's how much people craved and longed for the fat over the meat, right? So this is very significant. We're talking about the fat here, right? History would say that we've not been killing animals for their meat, but largely for their fat. You know, I've done um, the keto diet a few times, right, which is basically a high-fat diet. And in my research, I found that pig fat, like pork fat, is in the top 10 most nutritious foods in the world. And every time I say that, people are like, oh, gross, as if. That's not, that's not true. Get off BuzzFeed. Like, and then I say, go Google it yourself. And it's like, like number eight in the world. It's up there with like almonds and like fish and it, like all of these chia seeds. Like, and then pork fat, like the crackling. <sighs> Praise the Lord, he is good to us. So animal fats are like really nutritious, high nutritional value, right? But they help with um, like keeping you full long, longer. So you don't like, we're looking at historical purposes now, right? They keep you full longer. They help with healing wounds. They were used as like fire starters. They can be used to make candles. They waterproof pots, dishes, anything with fat. They can be used as a sunscreen, skincare, soap. Fat could be stored longer than meat. So you could keep it for a long time, whereas meat needed to be used, right? The fat was the incredibly useful part of the animal, the part of it that people actually wanted. And when Abel came and he offered the fat portions, he was saying, do you know the uses I have for this? Do you know what I could be spending this on? This could be anything I need it to be. This is the prized possession. It's my first, and it's, it could be anything I need it to be. But here it is offered to you. He had offered something that was his best. Can you see that tonight? And you know, I think we think like that sometimes when we tithe. If you're a tither in this room and you come and you bring your offering to God, and the, the first thought is like, what I could have done with that, God? What could I have bought with that? You know, maybe you got a hundred bucks and you brought in maybe ten dollars. It's like I could have got a Big Mac meal with that. And it's okay around ten dollars, but you start to feel that I could have done something with that when you get like a stimulus package from the government, right? And get a stimulus package from the government recently. And then you're like, Oh, thank you, Jesus. Oh wait, I could have done something with that. That's starting to look like a lot of money, right? What about tax time? You get a couple grand come in. And then all of a sudden you're like doing the math and you're like, surely that can't be right. That's a 
that's a couple hundred dollars. Then you start to feel, what could I have done with that, God? This could be done, this could have a whole heap of uses now in my life, but I bring it to you, right? Then maybe you might get a big bonus at work. Maybe you come into some money through an inheritance, and all of a sudden you've got a tithe or something of $1,500. And you're like, now we're talking. Like, this is the fat portion. This could be so many things. This is, this is the fat portion I'm offering to you, God. That's when you start to realize the things I could do with this. You're bringing something of your best. You're bringing something that costs you. Are you with me tonight? Abel's sacrifice cost him something. It was something that he could have used for a myriad of reasons. He could have treated his own wounds with it. He could have saved it to eat. He could have stored it. But giving it to God before touching it himself showed that he trusted God with everything. Bringing it to the New Testament, they speak of Cain and Abel in Hebrews. And not just Hebrews, in the Gospels as well. Hebrews 11.4, the writer is saying, By faith, Abel brought God a better offering than Cain. By faith, Abel brought God a better offering than Cain. By faith, he was commended as righteous when God spoke well of his offerings. And by faith, Abel still speaks even though he is dead. What is it behind Abel's offering, really? Yes, it cost him. Yes, it was his first. What did it show? It showed his faith. It showed his faith. Abel's offering gets put down to the fact that there was faith behind his offering. That's what it's about. That's what it shows. That's what God really wants, right? Giving his best and his first took faith. And, you know, this is a principle of life. This is God modeling something to us as soon as he could. Jesus did not do away with your first being your best because of a new covenant. The principle still stands. Bringing your first to something and bringing your best to something shows that it's important, right? The principle of first still is in the atmosphere. It's still in the earth, right? Hebrews eleven six says, and without faith, it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. I'm really sorry, but I need another thing from Georgia and it's a little bit more difficult than this. I need a whiteboard <laughs> with a pen. Thank you. You can catch up on the uh, podcast later for the bits you missed, right? Do you know Hebrews 11.6 where it says, without faith it is impossible to please God, is two verses after Abel's faith is commended. It's in the same passage that says Abel's faith is the reason his offering was accepted. And then it goes on to say, without faith, it is impossible to please God. It is the faith behind your sacrifice that makes it an acceptable sacrifice, right? So how do we bring our first and our best? I just think one of the things that's been really good for this series is to understand what we do here at church and why we do it. You know, some of the things we, we have Christianese. Anyone heard of Christianese, right? It's just language we get used to and habits we get used to. And if you're a new person, you come in here and you go, what is going on? This sounds like a cult. Maybe. I hope not. 
all right? But the words to do with our first and our best are our tithes and our offerings, right? Our tithes and our offerings. Your tithe is your first, and your offerings are often your best. Something that cost you, something that you could have spent elsewhere. And we give you an opportunity to do this every week at church. It's not a donation bucket, right? I'm just talking some practicalities here. Are we okay? It's, it's actually an opportunity for you to, to bring your offering, to bring your tithe, to bring your faith, to bring your sacrifice, right? And it's based on what God demonstrated and continued to demonstrate throughout the Bible, by the way, but what he started to demonstrate with Cain and Abel. Then he prescribed it in the law to the Israelites. A tithe means a tenth. And we see Abraham, before the law even came in, he gave a tenth to the, the king Melchizedek, right? Who was a picture and a type of Jesus, right? He's setting us up. This is all through the Bible. God encourages us to give. In Malachi, he says, bring your tithe to the storehouse, right? That there may be food in his house. Jesus continues to affirm giving generously. He speaks about money so much. It's like implied that it's like, yeah, can we... Can we move on? Like, I'm not doing away with this, but the standard is so much higher right now, right? Jesus came and raised the bar with murder. He said, if you look at someone with violence in your heart, you've already committed murder. He says, if you look at someone with a a lust, you've already committed adultery in your heart. He didn't come to do away with the laws, right? He came to just make them part of relationship. He came to make them a thing that we do because we love God, not because we're under law. So he hasn't done away with these things. Hear me tonight. God is still looking for his people to bring their first and their best, right? He also changed our motivation to tithe from, not, from one of law and obligation to one of love, to one of principle, to one of faith and thanksgiving towards Jesus and what he did for us, right? God is God and he is worthy of our first and he is worthy of our best, amen? Who's ever seen one of those like... Um, task organizer like squares like they prioritize your, your your the things you need to do based on their importance and their urgency i'm going to draw one of those up on here it's completely from memory i didn't google i'm just i hope i get it right but you have like a that's a y axis right or is that an x who's the maths people is it is that what's that one that's a y okay so let's say that this is your uh, importance. And that this is your urgency. And if you divide this into a little grid like this, any tasks that come in here are of high urgency and high importance, right? They're at the top of this end. So you've got your urgent and important. And then you've got things that are low urgency, but they're just important, right? And then you've got all the way down the bottom here, things that are like low, do we understand that? Low urgency, low importance, right? So, for example, in my week, urgency and importance on preparing a message to bring on a Sunday night, right? It's quite high, right? I've got a deadline and it's very important in my week, like I have to get that done. Right, so that sits up here. Does anyone have any other tasks in their own week? You can call them out because we've 
gone into session, right? Of, you know, what's urgent and important in your week? Work, yeah. So you got work. What's maybe something less urgent and important? Exercise. <laughs> so it's important, right? But, you know, you're not on your deathbed, so you don't feel it's important. Uh, urgent, right? What else? Anything else? Groceries. So they're like important, kind of semi-urgent. Yeah, kind of urgent. You could, today, tomorrow, doesn't really matter. Depends how old they are. If you're in Alex's house, it's never urgent, right? It's just like the expiry doubles. Like it's. <laughs> um. You know, you might have something down the bottom here, not urgent, not important. It might just be like a hobby or something. You're like, yeah, uh, it's still a little bit important to me, but it's there and I can do it if I need to. Is everyone grasping this idea? Yeah. It, and so basically what they ask you to do is to do your list of tasks at the start of the week in one of these and that you work on things that are important. So you work on things that are urgent and important and then you work on things that are important and then you go down like that, all right? Does everyone get it? I want to use this now um, to talk about maybe your pay. Is that okay? Believe it or not, I get pay too, so I'm talking to myself here. And so your things you've got during the week. So you've got your, your payday comes in, and all of a sudden your phone comes out, right? And you're like, oh. Here are the things I've got to go and give my money to, right? And so you might have your bills. So some bills are pretty urgent and important, right? We, we put them up here. Bills. Then you got like your groceries. Now, clothing, right? I'm sure we could have a debate about where that fits, right? Uh, I'm going to put that like... It's pretty optional unless... I don't know, I've heard some of you girls' online shopping habits are pretty full on. Uh, high, urgent, not important. What could that be? Like, you know, it's like, oh my gosh, tickets to Five Sauce have just come out and I've got to get tickets. It's important. It's, it's important to you. That's all right. Right, and we can just continue to go put things on here. Like, you might have a loan. Um, so it's pretty important you keep your house, right? Sorry about my writing. Left-handers are cursed on whiteboards. It's horrible. Um, Kimmy, this one's for you, like the gym. Like it's important, but yeah, it doesn't go there. My question, where does God fit in this grid for you? This is the part where we tend to convince ourselves of things that are not true, right? When we talk about first, we're talking about timing. We talk about best, we're talking about importance. Are you with me? We're talking about urgent and we're talking about important. And so, theoretically, this, if you're, if you're thinking about the most important thing in your life, this is where your payday is looking. Do you understand? And I know that in this room, we would like to think 
that God is the most urgent and important priority in our life. But this is the part where we convince ourselves otherwise sometimes. Because in reality, we can put God in any one of these other squares easily, without even knowing. Sometimes convincing ourselves that we're still sacrificing, that He's still first, that He's still my number one, but He's down here in non-urgent, non-important when it comes to our giving. Is this making good sense tonight? And, you know, we can say silly things to ourselves, and I'm all for savings and goals and purchasing things, right? But we can be like, oh, you know, I'm just, just saving up for a car, or, you know, I've just got some bills to pay, and then I'll put God back up here, or, you know, I'm just got to get those tickets, they come out tomorrow, so, like, that's urgent this week, God, and then you'll be urgent next week, right? You know, we say things like, I can't afford to give right now, or, you know, I can't figure out internet banking, it's all just numbers and screens, like... I don't know how old people are in the room, right? You know, here's a good one. Like, I forgot to go to the FPOS machine again, God. Like, whoopsie. I guess I don't give to you this week. That doesn't sound like urgent and important to me, does it? Does it sound urgent and important to you? But there are times, hear me, I've been in this place, which is why I can relate to it and why I'm talking to you about it. You can walk out those doors, not that you give in this house, but you know what I mean, and you can convince yourself, oh, it's okay, it's just another week. Like, I just missed the FPOS, it's all good, blah, 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 blah. I'm not trying to be legalistic, but I'm trying to talk about your heart. Don't let it slip down here and convince yourself it's still up here, right? You'll make excuses, you'll convince yourself for an entire year, need be, and you still haven't given God your first, and you still haven't given God your best, right? You know, if, if, you know, if we give like this, if, if we give in any other way than God being here, we give, a, we give an offering like Cain. We give a Cain offering. It wasn't his first. It wasn't his best. If it's important to you, you get it done. If it's important to you, you don't walk out without forgetting. If it's important to you, nothing stands in your way. If it's important to you, no bill stands in your way. You don't need more money to start giving. Hear me. The more money you get, the more money you give. <laughs> Doesn't matter. You need to get started right where you are. Be faithful with the small so that you'll be trusted with much, right? You know, I read a statistic this week that said that people who earn under 20K in church give eight times more than people uh, proportionately than people that earn over 75k. You don't need to earn a lot of money to start giving. And, um, you know, just think about the widow's offering that she brought. You know that story in the Bible? I don't want to go into too much time. But she comes and she just brings what she had. She brought something that was clearly a sacrifice and the Pharisees are there like laughing and they're putting all their big money in and Jesus looks and says surely she's given the most because it cost her it was her best it was a sacrifice right now you'll be happy to know I don't know who gives in this room and who doesn't right there's no agenda to get anything out of you tonight this is about us maturing in our faith we understand that we're all on that journey together 
I hope you trust us enough and you trust me enough to know that we're speaking something that's for your good. It's for our good. It's to honour God, right? But statistically, statistics tell me that Christians don't tithe as much as I thought they did. (laughs) And to be fair, millennials, from the research, it says millennials are not too bad compared to the other generations. Like, we're pretty good. But it's still not great. And conversations I've had with people, and I've been shocked. People I've known for years, and I'm like, what? Oh, yeah, we just had some bills for a while, and, you know, we just... uh, and people just haven't been tithing. And it's been a huge kind of surprise to me. And so I'm not silly enough to think that everybody in this room is doing that, right? But I do think it's something that we should be doing. I do think it's something that should be a, a huge percentage of this room. I think that nearly everyone, not nearly everyone, I think everyone unapologetically, can we just talk the truth? We've unlocked it tonight. I think we should all be giving. Jesus said, when you give. When you give. Not if you give. When you give. Right? And I don't want to judge anybody, and you know that's not my intention. It's not here to judge anybody for where you're at tonight. It's to illuminate a way forward for where we need to go. Yeah? We need to be a church full of faith, the faith that Abel had, a dependency on our God, a belief that He is able and willing to do all we can ask or think, right? He's able to meet our needs more than we can immeasurably ask or think, right? He is God of the universe, and that this needs to be a church full of people that just put their money where their mouth is, that we just say, God, I trust you in every area. Here is my faith offering disguised as money, that's what it is. It's saying, here is my faith, and nothing will stretch your faith quite like your money. Can I get a good amen with that? Every area that God has worked on my heart with in big ways has been in times of turmoil with my finances, times where He's tested me and brought me down to my last dollar, and I've been like, take it, I dare you. This is what I live for, this space. This is where I find God. This is where I know He touches my life when I'm given something that costs me, when I'm given something that's stirring up faith in my life, I could not ever, this isn't a pedestal moment, but I could not ever imagine withholding my first from God. And I've been grateful to have parents that did that with my first pocket money. And it was like, give you 50 cents in an envelope. Thank God for parents. I'm like thinking of that now. I'm like, I can't be bothered doing a, breaking a $5 note to give my... Thank God for my parents who taught me that from a long time ago. But I can't imagine ever withholding my tithe from the Lord. Ever. Now I'm going back to Malachi 3.10. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not uh, throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be enough room to store it. Now I'm just speaking the Scripture tonight. And it's not hiding the fact that there is blessing in this for you, right? He's saying, test me and I'll bless you, right? In money. He doesn't say test him very often. And I don't know about you, but I'm going to bring my tithe. I'm going to test God. I'm going to hold him to his word. And I'm going to taste and see that he is good. 
And I'm going to give if it takes me down to my last dollar to see God provide, to see God prove of himself faithful again because I trust him. I have faith in him. I believe who he says he is. And I want to bring a sacrifice of faith that is worthy and will glorify his name. Are you hearing the heart of this tonight? Are you hearing why we do this tonight? What a privilege it is to bring something so tangible that would touch and bless the heart of God. I'll get um, James up, please. Actually, I'll grab the whole band, please. And another whiteboard. Um, just. So what's our response to this tonight? We need to be people that learn to bring our first and bring our best. That's it. We need to be a church that are people growing in their salvation and plainly put, becoming tithers, becoming people that bring an offering. That's, that's the goal. That's the step. If you go to the next step stand, they'll tell you that's the next step. For us tonight, after hearing a message like this, it's to make a decision. It's to make it something intentional. It's to go back and have a look and think and plan and say, God, all right, I'm going to bring my first. I'm going to bring my best. And God's pretty clear about the element where He'll bless you. He'll meet your every need according to His riches and glory. That's not our motivation. We just want to bring our first and our best because He's our God. He sent His Son, Jesus, to give us a greater riches that we could ever imagine. my heart. This is God's house, where His holy priesthood. And we've come here to bring something. Priests have a sacrifice to make. That's on us, to bring something, to give something, to offer something. And your temptation might be tonight to sit in your chair and convince yourself of all the reasons you can't tithe right now. Or you haven't been able to tithe in the past. Maybe that's been the last 15 minutes in your head right now. Some of you are just like, oh, it's exposed me. Maybe the temptation would be sitting in your chair and to disagree with the things that I've said tonight. To go back and convince yourself that, no, what I, what I do is a sacrifice. But we're so good sometimes at just deceiving ourselves. I know you can bring your first. God knows you can bring your first. Of all people, God knows you can bring your first. He's promised to provide for your every need. Do you know tonight that you can bring your first? You can bring your breath, your, your best. You can bring your best. Stop trying to convince yourself that you can't do it. God's calling you to faith calling to a new level of faith. He's calling you to grow in your salvation. Don't talk yourself out of bringing your first and your best. You know, if you
you've been tithing for a while, maybe you get to a point where it's like, that doesn't even feel like a sacrifice anymore. That's just straight me being obedience. Let's give it back to God, what He gave to me. Maybe it's time to go a step further and bring something of your fat portion. Bring something that costs you. Bring an offering. Bring something that you think to yourself, I could have spent this elsewhere. This could have been so many things for me. But God, I just bring this as an offering. This is something that I I budgeted for. You know, I'd, here it is, my fat portion. Maybe, maybe get to the point where you bring an offering. Lay it down before God and partner it with His kingdom and the gospel. I don't know about me, you, but it seems like the message that Jesus said was like, let's grow from 10%. And we're smiling and nodding, but it's like, oh no, I'm still trying to get to 10. Do that, right? But for me, I hope I die with a huge percentage swing the other way around. I want to get to like 90% tithe, like 90% of my money goes back into the kingdom. Like, and God's blessed me immeasurably with that 10. Like, it's just more than I could ever need. And not so I could be filthy rich, not so I could boast in being generous, but so it could be a testament of God's provision, God's faithfulness in my life, His ability to take your first and your best and multiply it and supply your every need and prove Himself faithful. That's what I want my life to show my friends. That's what I want my life to show my kids, the people around me, that you can give your first, you can give your best, and God will always come through and He will use it for His kingdom and it will be a sweet smelling aroma and offering unto Him. Are you with me tonight? Let's be a house of givers. Let's start to learn now to bring our first, to bring our best. We're going to go from the, the 